If you have a Bible with you, uh, which I hope you do, turn to Psalm 62. We're in the midst of a five-week series called Help, a, a, a series that is, we are praying, that will help us grow as a people of prayerfulness. The Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers from real people praying to a real God. They're full of emotion, full of honesty, full of worship, and they help, help model for us how to pray, what to pray for. If you're at a loss of what to pray for, or you just feel like you're praying the same things kind of over and over, I'd encourage you to read the Psalms. Allow the prayers of God's people in the Old Testament to be your prayers. Let God's living and active word be your words to him. Allow those prayers to shape how you pray. One way I have grown in my prayer life is through listening to others pray out loud. Can you relate to that? I've learned to pray not just through reading prayers in the Psalms, for example, or Paul's prayers, Jesus' prayers, but listening to people around me pray out loud. Through the years, I can think of my wife, family members I have, people I have been in community group with, staff, elders, leaders, members of the church, my own kids, other pastors, learning from them and how they pray. It reveals something about their hearts when they pray, right? I can think of a specific friend, Keith Funk, who's now present with the Lord, who I still remember some things he prayed for and how he prayed for his wife, his kids, this church, people yet to be reached. I treasure the memories of that because I think, oh, he prayed, James, that a righteous man, those prayers produce, produce much, or he would say availeth much because that's how he memorized a verse. Who in your life are you close enough with that you're hearing them pray? Not just for, before meals, but as a way of life. Who's close enough to you that you're hearing them pray? If you're married, you should be praying out loud with one another. You have no valid excuse for that not to be occurring in your life. Well, I don't know, really. You have no valid excuse for it not to be a consistent rhythm in your life. If you're a parent, you should be praying with your kids out loud. This is, how we, this is one way we make disciples at home. We help teach them to pray through praying with them and for them out loud. Prayer reveals the relationship we have with our Father in heaven. When you pray out loud, it reveals your heart, what's on your mind, what you're grateful for, what you're asking for. Prayer out loud is not a performance. It's rather a practice that we live out because we're in a relationship with the Father who has saved us through His Son and indwells us with His Holy Spirit. So here in Psalm 62, we get, a, we get a read of David's prayer and listen to his words here. And the first verse of it in the CSB says this, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. The ESV translates that verse this way, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Rest in God alone. My soul waits in silence. Rest in silence. I'm not sure if there are two words more counter to the norm of life that our culture esteems or holds up. We are often a hurried people. You probably experienced that this morning, maybe, trying to get here. It's likely that for some of you, even as you sit there, your soul is hurried. Hurried not just with a list of things to do, but hurried just with things on your mind, on your heart. You might call them worries. You might call them thoughts, concerns, things that are just rolling through your soul right now. 
It's been said, a hurried soul is often a noisy soul. If your mind and heart are hurried, then notoriously it's going to be really noisy up here in your mind or in your heart. A few weeks ago, I was, I was pulling weeds in my yard one evening. Heather came out to say hello and see how it's going. And, and she said, as she's approaching me, boy, it sure seems noisy out here. It didn't have any music going. The road traffic had died down uh, next to our house. What she was referring to was the noise that she could sense in my head. Now, I wasn't angry weed puller, okay? Someone driving by wouldn't have thought, wow, that feller needs to take a break. Like, I wasn't jamming my trowel into the ground, but she just knows me, has a sense of a uh, discernment, which, a, which is beautiful, redeeming gift in my life. I wasn't angry at all, actually, but my mind was rolling. She was exactly right. Even though I was just patiently and methodically removing dandelions and broadleaf weeds, or as the grocery store calls them, a spring mix, um, <laughs> I don't invite a spring mix onto my spring yard, but my soul was hurried. By the way, we, we buy, buy that spring mix. We never finish the dumb thing. Just, okay. Um, maybe that's just a husband and wife thought. Why do we keep buying it? Um, <laughs> rest in God alone. My soul waits in silence. Rest and silence go hand in hand. If we're going to really flourish and grow in our faith and relationship with the Lord, if we're going to enjoy the Lord and the abundance we have in knowing Him and being known by Him, then we must develop a rhythm of resting in the Lord, being silent before Him. My hope is that as we look at the psalm, we might be encouraged to pursue a rhythm that fights up against a strong current of hurry and noise. That we'd be a people who would intentionally retreat with the Lord through silence and solitude so that we might cultivate a heart that truly rests in the Lord. That rests in who He is and who we are in Him. Silence and solitude, if we're not intentional in pursuing, won't happen in this life. Many of us carry around these devices in our pockets, our purses. We call them smartphones. It's, not, it's an ironic name. But we stay attached to them throughout our days. And if we allow them to master us, and we don't master them, they will never lead us towards silence and solitude. They never will. No app on there is going to do that. That device in itself will lead you to noise and hurry if you don't master it. When's the last time you didn't touch your phone for an hour? Two hours, three hours, and sleeping doesn't count. What about when's the last time you, you didn't touch it for a day or two days? When was the last time you went a day without checking something? I got to check this. I'm, gonna, I'm experiencing FOMO, fear of missing out. I, I got to check this. I got to check my things. For some of you, you've checked your notifications before the service began. Maybe even as I got to talking, you're like, okay, it's not John or Eric. Let me check my notifications. <laughs> or you felt your phone buzz, and you thought, mm, I don't think I can make it another 40 minutes without, mm, I'm twitching. Who is it? What's going on? I got to see. Who likes this? What did they say? How did they get back to me? Silence is the stripping away of all things. This is why a few weeks ago when the power went out here, that's why you and I sometimes, uh, one of the reactions we had is we enjoyed that service because it was, there was a sense of silence. 
a sense of stripping things away that were not necessary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and author, wrote this, we flee silence, we race from activity to activity to avoid having to be alone with ourselves for even a moment, to avoid having to look at ourselves in the mirror. We are bored with ourselves and often the most desperate, wasted hours are those we are forced to spend by ourselves. Keep in mind, he wrote that in the 1920s, nearly a century ago. So racing from activity to activity is not something new in the 21st century. See, don't make this mistake that it's just about our phones or it's just about social media. That's naive. It's bigger than that. Some of us go, well, I don't have an issue with my phone, but your mouth is always moving. You're always listening to something. You're always consuming something. When's the last time you had silence and solitude with the Lord and His Word? I say with the Lord and His Word because David prays in verse 1, resting in God alone. See, I think many of us have no problem being alone. We have no problem being alone. But in those moments of isolation, we are often really not with the Lord. Instead, we're going to this, these false places of rest, thumbing through your phone, reading a magazine, watching Netflix, catching up on your shows, researching this, working more. Those aren't necessarily sinful, but they're not the rest that David is speaking of here in Psalm 62. They're not rest that's going to lead us to a rhythm that trusts in the Lord. Tony Renke, who writes for Desiring God, wrote this about silence. Silence inevitably forces uncomfortable truths back into our vision. Who we are and who we have become, the good, the bad, the revolting, and the boring, all things about our lives, the things we would love to change, the memories and events and the scars we would never expose on social media. In the silence, nothing about us remains hidden. Everything bubbles again to the surface. Some of us run from or resist quiet or disconnection because we're afraid of what we'll find there. But we know what we'll find there. But David here is saying, I rest in the Lord. I'm silent before the Lord. In Scripture, we get a picture that silence is associated with steady faith and trust. We'll see that here in Psalm 62. You see it in Psalm 37 and 40. You see it in Jesus as he's approaching his crucifixion. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, remains silent. So Jesus remains silent, does not open his mouth, doesn't accuse, doesn't return mocking because he has a steady faith and trust. Like I said, my hope is that as we look at the psalm, we might be encouraged to pursue a rhythm that intentionally retreats with the Lord and His Word so that we might cultivate a heart that truly rests in Him. Because I know about me. And I'll be the first one to say, I do not preach Psalm 62 as a graduated expert. I preach, and my wife is smiling right now because she knows this. I preach Psalm 62 from a posture of a student as a disciple who's learning and growing. And if I had my guess, and I think my guess is pretty safe, you can relate, and you desire the same thing for your own heart. I desire for us as a church that we'd be an abiding church, a church that would systematically disconnect so that we might live in continual connection with our Lord and Savior. So let's read all of Psalm uh, 62 and allow its truth to shape us, and then we'll kind of talk through it. 
I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Selah. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Selah. Common people are only a vapor, important people, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord. For you repay each according to his works. So there's this back and forth nature to this psalm. Verses 1 and 2, David is declaring. Verses 3 and 4, he's, he's praying through trials or troubles that he is experiencing. Things that would potentially cause hurry or unrest or noise in his life. Verses 5 through 7, David is declaring again. Verses 9 through 10, David is praying about temptations and the false places of rest and things that he's tempted to, that we're going to be tempted to turn to, to try to find rest. Verses 11 and 12, David returns again to declaring this is who the Lord is. So there's this declare trials and trouble, declare temptations, declare. Now some of you, you linear thinkers, are irritated right now. Because I skipped a verse, didn't I? Anybody notice that? You're like, what about verse 8? I need to check the box. I need to fill in the blank. Well, verse 8 I see as this spirit-inspired response for us today a response in knowing who the lord is and then david praying through these things we will get to verse eight at the end as this response so verses one and two i'm at rest in god alone my salvation comes from him he alone is my rock and my salvation my stronghold i will never be shaken david is declaring here there's an emphatic tone to his prayer he's going to declare the same truths in verses five through seven there's a specific focus here. Rest in God alone. Salvation comes from Him alone. He alone is my rock and my salvation. God alone will be David's strength and stability. He's declaring my confidence is in the Lord. I'm looking nowhere else other than Him. Imagine if you had one foot on a solid rock and one foot in quicksand. You would not be at rest. David is saying, Lord, I have both my feet securely on you alone. And that brings him rest. Salvation comes by trusting in God alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by grace some, work some. It's not in Christ some and us some. It's like putting your foot on one foot in rock and one foot on quicksand. That doesn't lead to rest. It eventually leads to being sucked under. When you get up in the morning, you get out of bed, you and I put two feet on the floor, right? 
unless you have some crazy weird sense of balance or routine in your life where you hop into the bathroom on one foot, we put two feet on the ground, right? I'm still trying to determine what day of the week it is and what time it is and what I'm supposed to do that day, putting two feet on the ground. If you're a Christ follower, we are putting two feet on the solid rock of God's nature and character in that moment. Upon his unchanging grace and truth, we are declaring in that moment, first thing in the morning, God, my salvation is in you alone. I'm going to live today in you alone with a posture that securely rests in that truth. And then where David goes next is remind us that we'll need to be at rest in the Lord in the midst of trials and troubles that are going to come in this life. And we know that, that those occur not only in the Psalms in David's life, but we know that they're going to occur in our life as well because of Jesus' words throughout the Gospels, but specifically John 16, Jesus said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Our Lord and Savior has conquered sin, death, the devil. He has overcome and conquered the world. There's no more secure place to rest in than putting your faith completely in Jesus Christ. Trials and sorrows will come. Jesus said they would. We live in a fallen world, and when you put your trust in Jesus alone, that belief system, that trust, that way of life is going to bring you in conflict with the way of life of the belief system of the world. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. See, some people loved Jesus. Most people rejected him. Most people mocked him. Most people just were indifferent or disregarded him. David's life wasn't any different than that. We shouldn't expect our life to be any different from that. Listen to verses 3 and 4 then. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in line. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. David is, is, is calling out how his enemies are trusting in, resting in themselves. They take pleasure in line. They're hypocritical, two-faced. They're blessing outwardly, but then they're cursing inwardly. And he doesn't know when it's going to end. There's this lingering, ongoing, nagging, Trials and troubles can often feel that way, can't they? How long will this attack go on? How long will they seek to tear down my life as if my, as if my life was already leaning like a wall that was leaning? And yet the unknown length of the trial or trouble is not going to impact David's approaching, his approach to present day life. He's not saying, I'll rest in God when this is over. Or I'll rest in God when my enemies finally give up and go away. No, he's saying I'll rest in God alone. I'll wait in silence before him with a sure and steady trust in the middle of this and when it's over or if it, if it ever ends. Because in either situation, both of his feet are securely upon the rock. And this external noise, these external circumstances are not going to impact his inward faith and peace and trust. With that in mind, he goes back to declaring in verses 5 and 6, Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. 
My refuge is in God. David's complete expectation was upon his father. You sense this growing resolve in his prayer. He's preaching to himself here. He's repeating it because he wants to remember. Because he knows that in the middle of the trial or trouble, we might be prone to forget. He might be prone to forget. And some of you are there right now, smack dab in the middle of trial and trouble. And you need to be preaching to yourself like David. You need to be rejecting this idea of, well, I'll rest in God alone when my, my kid gets their act together, when my kids leave, when I change jobs, when I leave uh, the house, when I leave the state, when I get a promotion, when I get a different spouse, I'll rest in God alone then. No, we rest in God alone now, present day, because he's present in the trial, not just in the victory, not just on the Sunday, but also on the Friday and Saturday. Look at the imagery that David uses. Rock, stronghold, refuge. Think European castles that have been around for centuries. Think these mighty walls of stone, unable to be broken through or overcome. These are pictures of safety, security, and rest. As a kid, and then as a dad when the kids were littler, we haven't been doing this uh, as a sophomore in college and a senior in high school, uh, but I loved a good blanket fort. Okay, Again, we haven't been doing this like this summer. It's not on the agenda list like, hey, let's build a blanket fort. Come on, 20 and 18-year-old, let's go. Okay? But as a, as a grandpa someday, I'm going to build the best blanket forts. So they're going to come to my house. They're going to be awesome. I'm going to need lots of support. But you and I know how flimsy those things are. They typically may not even last overnight unless without parental help. Okay? A cotton blanket is only so strong as it stretches between chairs. But this picture here is vastly different. A castle can withstand the onslaught of enemies. You can be enjoying a steak dinner in the middle of that castle. Enemies are coming up against the wall. You're like, is there something going on out there? I'm just eating my steak. A refuge is a place of safety, even in the midst of a storm. A stronghold is a place of security, even when under attack. All this imagery invites rest. All this imagery helps us get a picture of God's nature and character. We rest in Him. In Him. Like, like a stronghold or refuge that we retreat to, we retreat to the Lord in silence and solitude. That inner room that is secure. Do you see the personal nature that David is praying with? The possessive pronouns? Thank you, middle school language arts that he's using. My soul, my hope, my salvation, my stronghold, my strong rock, my refuge. Would you describe your relationship with the Lord today? Not just some when I was 12 or when I was somewhere in the past. What about today? Would you describe your relationship with the Lord in that way? My hope, my salvation. Your relationship with the Lord can't be grown secondhand. Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator, the reconciler between us and God the Father. You don't need to go through another human for prayer or for relationship with God the Father. We go through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. Students, this is why you have to own your own faith. 
You've got to make it your own. As you mature and grow in your faith in Christ, you've got to transition from believing because your parents believe to believing because you believe. It can't be my parents' hope, my parents' church, my parents' stronghold, my parents' salvation. It has to be yours, including you, middle schoolers. It has to be yours as you're maturing, as you're growing. Students, would you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ with that possessive pronoun of my? I pray you would. And just continue to cultivate that and grow into that as you mature. So David has talked about how even in, the, in trials and troubles, his rest is going to be in the Lord. He's going to reject a hurried or noisy soul even in those seasons. Now he's going to pray through temptations that we are prone to try to find our rest in. Three temptations that on the surface appear to provide rest, but all of them end up proving false. All of them are like that blanket fort, cotton blanket versus strong, sturdy stone that withstands centuries. We'll come back to verse 8, I promise, but here's verses 9 and 10. Common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. So I see three temptations that he's talking about, three false places of rest. The first false area of rest that we are tempted to turn to is what I'd call prominence. It's our reputation, our status, our image, our place in society, our place in the community, our place in the school that we go to, our place in the workplace that we attend or work at. This is often driving how you utilize social media. If you are seen as prominent, then it lets you rest. So you believe. It's never-ending, though. This is not just on social media, but life becomes this constant image management. And then, when that image gets tarnished by your own sin or shortcoming or by the sin or shortcoming of someone near you, when that reputation, that status, that image gets tarnished, then your soul is hurried. Your soul is worried in that moment. It's noisy. David is praying here, common people, the ones who were born on the wrong side of the tracks, have the wrong last name, the ones who lack prominence are only a vapor. Oh, but by the way, if you don't think you're that, the important people, the ones who have earthly prominence, who have the right last name, who are born in the right neighborhood, they're just an illusion. They're just a hologram. Together, if you weighed all of them and their, their prominence, they wouldn't amount to anything. It's meaningless. It's a false place of rest to try to put your feet on the quicksand of that. Power is the next false place of rest. He says, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. David has seen men advance through cruel and dis dishonest ways, and the results don't justify the evil and sinful means. Again, if we're trying to put our feet on the quicksand of power, we'll just be constantly clamoring for more, reaching, striving, trying to gain more, in the end, sucked under. Self-centered power, domineering power is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Whether you're home, workplace, government, church, it's never satisfied. It's never at rest. 
The last false place of rest that David prays through is his possessions or pennies. I feel pretty good about that they all started with the letter P too. So, If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. David was wealthy. Growing up, he's poor. He's seen all of it. And he understands the pointless nature of trying to find your rest and wealth. Do you know what lifestyle you and I would be satisfied with? Do you know what income that you and I would all be satisfied with? And the answer is not a number. The answer is a word, more. If you make 30 grand, you'd be so satisfied with 40. Once you made 40, you'd be so satisfied, satisfied with 50. If you make 10 bucks an hour, boy, if you made 15 or $18 an hour, whoo, then you'd be satisfied. Oh, but then you'd want 26 or $28 an hour. We'd all be satisfied with more. And then when more came, we'd want more. The solution, the remedy of your heart is not what happens on your W-2, what shows up there. The transformation, the solution is found in the transformation of your heart, growing in contentment in Christ Jesus. It's found in both plenty and want, according to Philippians 4. According to 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. We can't serve both the master of money and God at the same time. We must choose to serve and worship our God, and that's the umbrella, worshipers for all of life, and money is simply a, a, an area of life underneath that umbrella that is to demonstrate our worship of the Lord, that we use as worship, not out from underneath that of like, well, that's worship of self and everything else is the Lord. No, everything is to be directed toward the Lord. Money is simply a tool to demonstrate who we're going to worship, whether it's going to be us or the Lord. You can't have one foot resting on the Lord and one foot resting on riches. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. I've never done the splits before. Okay? It's not on my bucket list of things as I enter my 50s and 60s someday. I don't think anyone would describe it, though, as a restful position. Like we see somebody, well, that looks so restful. And yet that's exactly what some of you are trying to do with money. You're trying to put one foot on the Lord and one foot on money. It's not restful, is it? These are, these are all false places of rest. These are all shaky. These are not places of, of silent retreat. These are noisy and hurried. And so David goes back again to declaring who the Lord is in verses 11 and 12. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. I've heard this twice, he prays. This is true. This is sure, reliable. Have you ever told a loved one, I love you? I love you. And you said it twice for a reason because you want it to land a little bit deeper than just a flyby. Strength belongs to God. Faithful love belongs to God. God is perfect in every way because strength without love is brutal. It's cruel. Love without strength is pointless. It's powerless. In our God, He is who is our refuge and, and, and salvation. He provides both because we need both. Like I asked last week, why wouldn't we pray to such a great and loving God? When we pray, we want to know these two realities that he's strong, and that he's loving. We need to know both, that he's powerful and that he's present. 
if you're in a trial or trouble right now, know that the Lord is strong and faithful. If your life is trying to find its rest in some false place, know that He is strong and that He's faithful in love. Knowing who He is, then we turn back to verse 8, which I see as the response. David prays, Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. He's trustworthy at all times because strength belongs to Him. Faithful love belongs to Him. Those characteristics are not ones that He's reflecting from someone else. He's not borrowing them from someone else. No, He owns them. He, he won't run out of them. He's infinite in every way. And so if something belongs to Him, it's His. Faithful love is His. Strength is His. David is saying if God can be trusted with salvation, then he, he can be trusted in all things. If He can be trusted in all things, then we can pour, our, pour out our hearts to Him in all things. And we can't pour out our hearts to Him if our souls are hurried and noisy. If we're not in a consistent way retreating to be with the Lord in silence and solitude. Because let's be honest, the noise of our lives, we can turn to that as an escape from the Lord that we somehow justify, but the silence gives space for the Spirit of God to do work in our hearts as we pray. Listen, the goal isn't just disconnection and silence. Like sitting in a dark room, trying to empty your mind like an Eastern religion would prescribe. No, to rest in the Lord, to be silent before Him, that's disconnecting so that we might fill our minds with His living and active Word, so we might hear from Him, not just hear from the clamor of whatever's going on up there, but we might hear truth into our souls. Because it's through His Word, Psalm 62 being an example, where it proclaims to us over and over who the Lord is is David's silence or resting here is focused not on an abyss of nothing but on the nature and character of God that's what he's declaring over and over the fullness of God the goodness of God the presence of God in his life church we don't realize how noisy and distracted our minds are until we retreat to silence and solitude like if this is not a normal posture of your life and you do it for the first time it's going to be um maybe even an anxious time because you will realize how noisy and hurried your soul is. But sitting quietly before him, reading his word aloud, allowing its truth to shape and transform us, it draws us closer to him into rest. Ladies, as I said in the beginning, when you leave, you're going to get a little notebook. On the inside cover of that notebook is a, is a, a simple plan for retreating with the Lord using Psalm 62 for some solitude. It's not an intricate plan, okay? It can easily fit on this small little label. It's simply pray and ask the Lord to quiet your heart, speak to you through your word, reading his word aloud, reading his word aloud again, allowing its truth just to sit on your heart. Reflect, pray in response. The notebook, the purpose is not for your to-do list. You want to use it as that later that's fine but honestly i'd love for you to record what the lord is speaking to you what he's sharing with you his daughter in that moment and then do it again with another psalm on another day and guys it's not just the ladies who walk away with oh good 
that's your action step. I'll wait till next week. I'll wait till June. No, this is all something that we can grow in. Ladies, get the notebook. You can go find yourself a notebook on your own. Okay? It'll probably be better, the one you find. Okay? Moms, grandmas, one-day moms, the greatest thing you can do to bring kingdom benefit to your family, to make disciples at home, is for you to have an abiding love and trust in Jesus. Is for you to rest in the Lord and reject false places of rest. To rest in the Lord in the midst of trials and trouble. To be a woman whose posture declares Jesus has overcome the world. And I rest in Him. I pray knowing who He is. If the worship team could come back up. I want to pray for women this morning, and so uh, if you would, if you could stand up, and I want to lead us in prayer, and then we'll head back into singing and worship. Father God, I pray for uh, the, uh, the moms here with babies and toddlers in the middle of diaper season. I pray for the moms in the middle of adolescence and teenage years. I pray for the moms who have kids who are adults pray for the grandmothers. I pray for the mom who grieves the loss of her mom today, for the woman who grieves the loss of her child, for the woman waiting in expectation of adoption, for the woman waiting in expectation of a child to be born, for the, for the mom who has the wayward child and on a day like this is burdened with that, and for the mom who rejoices on a day like this because her children are walking in the truth for all women today, I pray that, you would, that they would find their rest in you and you alone. May they turn to you alone as their rock, their refuge, their stronghold. May they trust in you alone for their salvation. May you give them sweet and meaningful times with, with you alone and your word. May you speak to them truth from your word. God, we are grateful that strength belongs to you. Faithful love belongs to you. And so as your people, we draw near to you. We trust in you at all times. We pour, our, pour out our hearts in all things because you are strong and you are loving. And you are our God, our Father in heaven, who we worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.